Welcome to the Critical Conversations podcast, hosted by two critical care nurses who are doing things differently. We're here to discuss our healthcare system, why preventative health is so important to us, and what you can do about it. What if we told you you had the power to change the trajectory of your life? Would you do it? We are back and we are here to officially kick off our podcast, the Critical Conversations podcast, with um, defining prevention and what preventative care looks like. And it was inspired by a, an article I stumbled upon this past week in the New York Times called Preventative Care Saves Money. Sorry, it's too good to be true. And it got me thinking, it got me fired up um, because I think that there is a lot of room that we can make a shift on what prevention means. Um, And I'm gonna hand it over to (laughs) Brie. Hey guys, this is at our core, preventative health. We're the girls at the bedside, in the hospitals, helping patients that it's sometimes too late. It's not enough was done to help them prevent getting as sick as they have become. So we're here to talk about what preventative health looks like to us, why we think it's so important. And like Laura said, she stumbled across this article written by the New York Times. It was just released earlier this year, January 2018, and kind of bashed the preventative care industry in the sense saying that it doesn't really matter, it doesn't really change the outcome or the cost of our health care. So I was reading through the article. There was one sentence or one paragraph that truly spoke to us, agreed that we can fully agree with, and this is it. Money doesn't have to be saved to make something worthwhile. Prevention improves outcomes. It makes people healthier. It improves quality of life. It often does so for a very reasonable price. Yes, that is is the one part of it that we could wholeheartedly agree on. Um, And what I didn't agree on, what was really troubling to me is the definition of prevention in this article. Uh, Because my definition and what Brie and I can agree on as what we see as prevention actually starts at home. It starts with you, the patient. Um, it does not start in the healthcare system and it is done every single moment of every single day with every decision you make for or against yourself. So um, the article is actually defining prevention as what we would call counseling, um, and immunizations and screening processes, all of which are important and all of which are useful, but it is not the long and the short of what prevention truly is at its core. I'll uh, I'll chime in there. As far as when we say prevention, when we refer to preventative health, we want it to be simple. We want the definition to be simple. We want it to feel obtainable to you. So to us, prevention is simple changes to improve your lifestyle choices, your eating habits, the quality of food you're purchasing and bringing into your home, um, how much coffee you're drinking, how much water you're drinking, whether or not you're avoiding drugs and alcohol. Um, Physical activity obviously is a hot topic as well. Um, And stress management. Stress plays a bigger role in our health, in our long-term health, 
more than people are talking about. And lastly, annual physicals, going to your doctor, following up with your doctor if something was abnormal and actually reevaluating the lab work or the exams that you had done. We're not disregarding the healthcare system. Preventative health is a full circle intertwining all of the things you do at the doctor's office as well as the things you do for yourself at home, at the grocery store, at the gym, in your life. Yes, we want to remind you that prevention actually starts with you. It starts at home and you're responsible for it. This portion of the podcast was recorded after Laura and I stopped and re-listened to what we are about to say. We want to make it extremely clear so that you understand what we knew we were talking about, but we didn't necessarily clarify while we were talking about it. We get into talking about high blood sugars and diabetes. We talk about diabetes a lot and how the long-term effects of diabetes can truly affect your long-term health. What we didn't take the time or care to define was that the whole time we were talking about diabetes, we were referring to diabetes type 2. We're both registered nurses. We understand that diabetes comes in two forms. Type 1 and type 2 are extremely different. And people who have diabetes type 1 were born with it, most likely due to a genetic condition, and it was passed onto them in utero. And most people that have diabetes type 1 are diagnosed very early on, and diabetes type 1 is not preventable. And we fully understand that, and we um, hope that now that we have clarified that, listening to the rest of this episode, it'll be clear to you what we were referring to. And just like we said in the first episode, As we go along, keep in mind we are registered nurses, we are not doctors, we are not dietitians, we are not nutritionists. We are just offering up advice and information based off of information that we have uncovered doing our own research on our own health journeys, trying to help ourselves and also get a deeper understanding of how we can help our patients. So like we always say, we're just opening up the conversation, trying to inspire you to do your own research and hoping that the conversation that we're having today will inspire you to do so. So keep listening and thank you. So the article, just kind of diving in a little bit more, was discussing kind of the the money, the cost of it, and then doing an analysis of that. And it made us kind of look into um, chronic illnesses and the money that goes into that and um, discussing how many people I, I just was completely, I, I already knew the statistics, but when we were looking up at the NIH, um, and they're, they're old statistics, they're a few years old, the averages and the amount of people this is affecting is massive. Um, and so we kind of want to just dive into some chronic illnesses that are very um, pronounced in, especially the U.S. So what we are looking up is specifically obesity um, and obesity-related uh, illnesses, which is firsthand is is diabetes. So um, we found that 33.9% of adults 18 years or older are pre-diabetic. Almost 40% of adults 18 years or older are pre-diabetic. Um, And how they define prediabetes is with lab values, uh, fasting glucose of 100 to 125 is considered prediabetic. 
um, and they also look at a level called an A1C, and that's a 5.7 to 6.4 is considered pre-diabetic. And it's important to know those numbers because those are the lab values that you'd be looking at. But what's really staggering is that number 40% of adults in the United States are pre-diabetic, and it, it, it makes you wonder what we could do to bring that back down, um, what we can do to really focus in on how we can bring um, both diabetes and the obesity that is usually associated with diabetes back down. And so what we can do as person to person is some of those things that we were just discussing um, are preventative measures that we can do at home. So lifestyle things. I'm going to stop you right there real fast, Laura, because I want to bring this back to the people that are listening and make the fact, the statistic about diabetes correlate back to them. Because a lot of people listening probably think, oh, that's not me. Like I'm outside of the statistic. That doesn't apply to me. Yeah, you know, for sure. Um, And that could either be that they haven't had their blood work done and they don't know or they don't understand what or why we care so much about diabetes and preventing it because they probably haven't seen all of the terrible long-term consequences that diabetes can have on the body. So it's not just diabetes. It's not just chucking your blood sugar and giving yourself insulin. It's the long-term consequences that diabetes can lead to down the road and the things that we've seen in the hospital that are so extreme, such as people getting amputations of their feet and their legs, people having to be on long-term dialysis because their kidneys shut down, they go blind because they can no longer see because the high blood sugar levels in their body depleted their eyesight and shut down the capillaries. Um, So that is why we care so much, and that's why we're going to circle back to the statistics issues talking about and the importance of knowing what your numbers are so that you know where you lie on the on the scale of prevention. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, both obesity um, being a lot, I think a lot of people look at obesity as a, as a um, aesthetic thing. Like people just don't want to be overweight because they don't think it looks nice, but on a much, much, much deeper level, there's a lot of problems that come along with obesity. And in, in the United States, and we're going to speak specifically to the United States because we have a good resource for statistics there with the NIH, we looked it up today to confirm um, that more than two out of three adults, 70.2% of adult Americans were considered to be overweight or have obesity. That's, yeah, that's just... Let that sink in. 70.2%. More than half, close to three-fourths of the country. And whether you fall into that statistic or you're almost at the statistic, I can guarantee you know somebody or multiple people that fall into that statistic. And it's the long-term consequence of the obesity. It's not the number on the scale. I could care less about the number on the scale as far as like how that makes you feel. It's more about the long-term consequences of what that's doing inside of your body. Yeah. I mean, we're, we are, we are concerned about how that makes you feel emotionally, but right this second, when we're talking about preventative care, um, we're mainly talking about what that's doing physically to your body, um, carrying those extra pounds around in the form of fat and in unhealthy forms is, is, severely detrimental to your body um, and how obesity causes problems with your pancreas, which causes you to have a reaction to food, then you're unable to actually 
adapt well and then your pancreas gets tired and you eventually end up getting diabetes, um, diabetes, uncontrolled diabetes and unreversed diabetes actually causes long-term effects in other ways. It can cause blindness. It can cause renal failure. So you won't be able to pee anymore. You'd be on dialysis. Um, it causes heart disease. It causes you to be at high risk for stroke. Um, it causes you to be at high risk for aneurysm. It can cause and eventually lead to you having to get amputation of your fingers or feet. And for men, it is a very high um, cause of impotence and erectile dysfunction. It can cause you to lose your life slowly. Um, and it's not just this thing about having high sugar and it's not a cute thing to talk about. It's really serious and it's a lot more serious than many people really are aware of. Um, it's not that people are just overweight. It's not that people just have high sugar. Um, it's what it's physically doing to your body and it's going to take away your life. All right. That's really serious. That's really deep. <laughs> I know it's really, it's, but it is really serious. And I know it is, I mean, but we got to find a way to make this more, a little lighthearted for, for the people so that we don't want to make everyone depressed. <laughs> well, I don't want to make people depressed, but I want to un have them understand the weight of it all. Right. They have like you guys, the severity of what we've seen and experienced is just words. We'll never be able to explain it, but Let's like try and turn it around, make it a little bit more relatable, make it a little bit more actionable. Let's talk about the things you can do and what preventative health looks like for us and what the like lifestyle changes we've made personally and the things we want you to be aware of. I mean, I think the biggest, easiest conversation to have around obesity and diabetes is all the sugar that's in our food. Our grocery stores, the entire center of our grocery stores are lined with processed, packaged, sugar-laden foods. Um, I've heard statistics before that more than 80% of processed packaged food items have added sugar in them um, in all different amounts. And that's really the true conversation. That's where the prevention starts. It's reading the labels, it's being aware of what you're eating, what's in your food, and making small choices based on that. Wouldn't you agree, Laura? Like just going all back to the- add up. Every really simple. Yeah. yeah. It really is. It, it's, I know I did come off as very heavy and I think it's becoming, that's coming from a place of holding hands of people who didn't know any better. And I'm really want you to understand the weight of it all. But like Bree said, it is, it is manageable to even undo it. It's even manageable to have this problem, look at it and undo it. It's just a matter of education, educating yourself, educating your family, um, and making small changes along the way that actually add up to huge um, changes in your life. So I think the number one thing, and this is asked of you, I know, Bray, a lot too, and me, but the number one thing, the easiest thing I would ever tell anyone to do is to look, just to read their ingredients. Just read it. Just become associated with reading the ingredients because it is eye-opening. Oh, my gosh. If I – yes. When it comes to food, when it comes to preventative health, I think the core of our problem begins with the food we're eating, the food that you're buying at the grocery store, the food that you're choosing to bring into your home. Go back to the very beginning. It should grow from a farm. 
It should come farm to table. It shouldn't be processed. Processed foods are convenient when we're traveling and for simple or staple things that we don't have the time to do on our own, like nut butters and teas, because we're not going to go out and pick tea leaves and dehydrate them ourselves. You can buy packaged foods, but they should be single ingredient foods. They should be simple. You should understand what's in them. And if you turn around a package and the paragraph of ingredients is overwhelming or it's too small to read... It's too sciencey. Put it away. Put it back. If it's too sciencey, you, you're like, I know that's a word, and like I could look it up, and maybe I'll understand it when I look it up. But it sounds sciencey to you. Put it back. Yeah, it's just too complicated. Um, we want to make preventative health simple. So start by making your food simple. Work on eating whole foods, fruits, vegetables, nuts, seeds, legumes, all the basics. Get back to the basics. And the more you can cook at home, the easier that is. When you're eating out at restaurants, it gets a little bit harder because you don't know what they're adding adding to the food. It might appear to be something simple, soup, salad, sandwich, or an entree, but there's a lot of additives in the back as well. So it's just becoming aware of the ingredients that are in your food, not getting overwhelmed by the pro- the packages you already have, but taking a look at those and deciding whether or not it's something that you want to keep as part of your diet or if maybe you want to clean it up a little bit. Just get familiar with it. And um, how I would, how I actually have had this conversation with family actually in the past year um, and how I try to explain what has happened in the past hundred years um, because a lot of people are mad at healthcare specifically. They're like, I don't understand. I can't get to see my doctor. Um, I don't think it's food. Something's sh- happened. I'm like, okay. I actually had my great aunt there. Um, I was like, tell me how you ate. How did your family feed themselves um, when you're little? So she's 90 plus years old. And what she described is a farm to table concept, which we now consider like yuppie and elitist and elitist, but it was considered normal. So they would eat a little bit of meat because they, there's only like so much meat around. It'd come from the farm down the street. They'd eat what was local and what was seasonal because there weren't mangoes being flown in from Mexico there was local seasonal food coming from farms around the area. There wasn't mass transit. There wasn't 18 wheelers bringing you all sorts of things. There wasn't packaged goods. Um, And there was a little bit of sugar and there wasn't a lot. And desserts were a thing that were like a special treat, truly a special treat. They weren't every day. Um, They didn't have huge pantries of packaged foods that would sit on the shelves for ages because they didn't actually have it. They thought it wasn't existing. So that was that was only a hundred years ago. That was pretty recent in in the course of history. That's new history. Um, she can remember the time that they started spraying the fields for bugs, and before that, everything was organic. There was no organic because there was only organic. And when we think about organic food, I think that there's a stigma about organic as well as a privileged or it's not, it's not really any better, but she can recall the time that they'd have to go inside because they'd be spraying the foods and how they were saying that that was a health risk to them if they were outside because they might get pesticides. Um, 
So it was it was really recent that all that's changed. So food change is very recent. So if you think about it and you can just ask yourself, how did my great grandmother eat? That can often one bring it kind of back down and ground you in this like very crazy world of food that we live in now where there's tons of food paradigms and food groups and paleo and vegan vegetarian and everything it's very complicated if you can just manage to think how did my grandparents eat how did my great-grandparents eat it can often bring you back down and bring it to be a much more real much more manageable tangible um trip to the grocery store or trip to the farmer's market I am going to add on to your organic versus not organic portion of your story. And the fact that they have to go inside when they're spraying pesticides on the food that we are going to eat is scary enough. There are chemical, toxic, cancer-causing warnings on all external pesticide packages, and yet it's sprayed on the food that we eat. And I know you've said this before, Laura, and I've said it time and time again, too, that I know organic's not always available and it's not always the only answer, but it is a it is a possibility to clean up your diet sometimes. But if we were to take away the organic label and switch that over to the food that's not organic and label that as food sprayed with pesticides and increase the cost of those foods because they were sprayed with pesticides, it would be an interesting shift. It would be an interesting observation to kind of watch people realize Organic shouldn't have to be labeled organic. Organic is food the way it's meant to be grown. Um, It's just been so overcomplicated. And I know there's data and statistics that say pesticide-grown food can, like, be more sustainable and that they can do larger amounts. But that's another whole rabbit hole of, you know. I do want to respect the fact that I know a lot of people don't – we are not only capable of buying – organic, but we live in California. Southern California is flooded with a lot of healthy options and some of them very reasonably priced. Um, and I know, I know that many, many people that are listening to us don't have that. That's not an option for them. And I don't want you to get hung up on the fact that that's not an option for you right now. I just want you to remember. Just be aware. Yeah. What is the best I can do with what I have right now? And, um, that will change your life. Sometimes you can do better than other times. And I know that's true of me. And then when I was in college, there was several months during college that I didn't even, wasn't even able to eat enough because I didn't have enough money. Um, so I understand you. I, I respect that. I see you. But remind yourself that you're still able to make choices. You can make the best choice in the moment with what you have. And that's what we're, that's what we're recommending you do. That's what we're trying to help you focus on. Yeah, just increasing awareness of your daily habits. So if you're going to Starbucks every morning and getting a sugar-loaded coffee to start the day that costs <laughs> five, six, seven dollars I don't know how much Starbucks costs now because I haven't been there in a while. Oh, um, Starbucks. They add so much sugar. You I guys, think a big part – so oh, my God. <laughs> the unicorn frappuccino. Oh that was – what it was like 60 or 70 grams of sugar in one drink. Um, that's besides the point, no, but <laughs> it is the point. Diabetes a little bit. It's the point that there's added sugar in almost every packaged food you're buying, and just 
going back to simplifying it, you can shift your priorities as far as the things that you are buying in order to create a larger or different budget for different things as you become more aware of what's more important and what's more beneficial to your health. So if you're constantly buying package processed stuff and you stop buying those things, you tend to have more money to buy more of the real foods and create cleaner um, meals. But yeah, let's get back to the unicorn frappuccino and all the processed food and all the added sugar because that that's a big conversation in itself well I became this is the beginning in my rabbit hole last it was like a year or two ago when I like really started just falling down this rabbit hole um I was unhappy in my job I ended up quitting um my local ICU that I was working in and I had a lot of time on my hands and I really am a nerd at my core I am a nerd at my heart like that is who I am. I was reading nutrition um, articles and looking up like scientific data and was reading about the gut microbiome. And that kind of got me into inflammation and sugar and why, what it does to our gut. And then I found out about what the actual, what the World Health Organization was recommending for added sugars per day per person. And they recommend um, women have uh, no more than 25 grams of sugar a day. And I started trying to look at my ingredients, even the good ones. So adding added sugar means anything that it's not naturally in. So an apple obviously doesn't have added sugar. It has sugar in it, but it's not added. Even things that are good for you. Um, I put that in air quotes. Um, even like the healthy packaged foods have added sugar. Sometimes they have honey. Sometimes they have maple syrup. Sometimes they have cane sugar. Um, there's all sorts of different sugars. Your body kind of responds to most of them um, the same. Some of them are slightly different, but um, it was really, really easy to get to 25 grams. And when I started looking at the favorites, like Starbucks favorites, holy crap. <laughs> you can get two days worth of sugar in one drink. And Starbucks is so dangerous, and we're picking on Starbucks for some reason. This applies to so many it's, chains and their well, drinks, it's just, but it's very easy to. They're on every corner, and it's really it's become a staple. Honestly, I have nothing wrong with Starbucks. I go, I'm a, I go to Starbucks probably once a week at least. Um, I get black coffee, in case you're wondering. Um, but it's they have drinks that people like, and they're doing well, and so we're not picking on them, but we're using them as an example because it's easy to find everywhere in the country. And dangerous because that's a form of a packaged good that you're buying that does not have a label on it. You actually have to do what Laura did and open up the internet and search and research and find the ingredients and all those things. So that's where a lot of the hidden dangers in our food are lying because those that information's not readily available to us. So full circle on that with the diabetes, because it's the added sugar that leads to the excess calories, that leads to the weight gain, that also overloads our body's ability to digest the sugar long-term in such large amounts, that leads to the pre-diabetes, the diabetes, and the chronic health conditions that got us here in the first place, trying to prevent you guys from having to suffer from that. What were you gonna say, Laura? Because you were laughing. Oh, I was laughing because we often don't consider our drinks food. It's and true. so um, if you if you think about what you're getting just from a drink and even like a green monster drink, like there's juices. 
people think that juices because they're green and are and good for you, but they're actually spiking your blood sugar. Like in, if they're green juices mixed with fruit juice. Sure. But I mean, most people aren't buying green juices that aren't mixed with fruit juice. Right. Let's, because they taste they don't taste good. <laughs> like they're good for you, but they don't taste good. Right. So people aren't buying them, but people are, are into juicing and into all these different things because they think it's better. But, um, when you're drinking these sugars, they are just going like full force into your body and causing a massive increase in your blood glucose, which then causes your body have to like freak out for a second and give a massive burst of insulin to control that blood sugar. And it's really taxing on your body. Um, and if we are doing this day in and day out and not even thinking about the things that we're drinking and then we follow up with these things that we're eating, even if it's again, not picking on anyone, but I'm going to, I'm going to sh- throw out a brand. Um, even if it's Siggy's yogurt, who has pretty small amount of sugar, it can have like nine grams of sugar, um, which seems insignificant. And in one sitting, it is insignificant, but if then you add, um, honey as a topping, and then you add some fruit as a topping, which is also good, not picking on fruit, but you can easily get a lot of sugar in one sitting and not really think about it and be like, oh, I just did a really good job. Um, and then if you just, if, if you then follow up later, oh, I had that really good thing in the morning, I'm going to have a Coke and, um, a brownie because balance hashtag balance. Like we have like, <laughs> we have like suddenly really overdone it and you didn't eat. You can, you can actually do it very easily without being aware of it. That's all I was laughing about is because we often divide what we're eating, what we're drinking in our mind as, as two different things, but you can easily get sugar, high amounts of sugar in places that you wouldn't necessarily expect. Right. It. And I think that goes back to the beginning conversation of just being aware of your eating habits and your lifestyle choices. You are not going to be able to change everything today. Listening to this podcast, you're not going to be able to just stop all the bad habits and change all your habits. You can't. You have to slowly adjust and adapt. But it's the some days, the combination of the foods that you're eating you're eating such a large amount of sugar that you're unaware of. And that's what we want you to become a little bit more aware of. So if you had the donut with your coffee in the morning, be aware that you had more sugar in the morning. So you need to be a little bit more aware of the things that you're eating for the rest of the day to try and balance out that large sugar intake that you already had. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think that's kind of the core of it. I wanted to make this kind of actionable as well. And I was trying to think back when I first started doing my own research, like probably in like 2012 when I discovered um, foodbabe.com. And she's the one that opened my eyes to the ingredients in our food. Vani Hari, absolutely adore her. Um, I became aware of my favorite foods and I went to my pantry and I turned it around and I started looking at my labels, whether it was the ingredients or the sugar content. Some of my favorite things like pasta sauces, when I thought I was making like a healthy pasta, pasta sauce has added sugar in it. A lot of sauces, barbecue sauce and different things like that have hidden added sugars. Um, Packaged convenient morning things like granola bars and boxed cereal. One cup of milk that you add to your cereal has 12 grams of sugar, I believe. My husband used to be a huge milk drinker, and that was kind of an eye-opener to him when I showed him that because he thought milk was pretty much just protein and fat. 
it has 12 grams of sugar on top of the sugary cereal that you're already eating. Um, and just like dehydrated fruit, fruit snacks and fruit strips and things like that can also be thing. I'm just trying to think of the things I used to drink. I was never really a soda drinker, but I think like you said already, liquid calories is usually one of the highest forms of sugar intake for a lot of people and just decreasing your either coffee consumption or your soda consumption and replacing that with more water will do a world of difference. If you do anything, drink less of those things and add more water into your daily routine. I want to be really clear that neither of us are picking on sugar specifically. I actually don't think that there's anything wrong with having some sugar. I think it tastes good. I think that you just be, need to be aware and mindful of it and be aware of it that it's very addicting that it's highly addicting in the same way that um, there's some research that was saying that it's the same way that drugs are addicting. It lights up the same areas. So when you're like, I think I'm addicted to sugar and you're making a joke about it, you, you likely are. Um, oh yeah. And as you start to change your life and clean out your habits, you'll go through withdrawals. You'll have headaches and different like fatigue and symptoms like that. You're literally withdrawing from a drug. <laughs> and it's actually, it is, it is pretty amazing. I've done a um, complete sugar I don't want to say detox, but I just took myself off of sugar for a little bit. Um, and you become highly sensitive to it. So if you take yourself completely off of it for a second, you will be able to see just how sweet everything is. And the reasons that things are so sweet, one, because it's addictive and we, the scientists for the food companies know that it is a game that they're playing with you. Um, and you will be able to see exactly how sweet everything is. Um, and you really don't need as much sweetness as you were previously needing. Right. Same kind of satisfaction. So Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's just a matter of being aware of it, educating yourself on it, and taking some action on it. I'm not saying cut out everything. Um, there's definitely better forms of sugar than others. Um, and we can save that for another time that we talk about things. But um, this is more just the easiest, most preventable way that you can take care of illnesses or even take take a step back from illnesses say you're diagnosed with diabetes you can actually make a huge impact on how much medication you need for that and even maybe completely reverse it by just changing your lifestyle specifically and and really focusing on your diet that's Um, a key point right there Diabetes and obesity are reversible diseases because they're also preventable. They're diseases caused by lifestyle choices. And it kind of goes back to the beginning of this podcast and why we started talking about prevention in in the first place, because the article that Laura found was saying that preventative health and the measures that people take towards preventative health is too good to be true. And that is so false. It's so false because there's so much you can do to so much you can do to change your future and your health and the trajectory of your life and where that's going just by changing your habits. So yeah. we talked about sugar, we talked about food. What are some of the other things that you have changed with your habits over the past few years, Laura? Um my main habit has really been well, not habit, but lifestyle change has been food. Um, I would say the second thing, because I've always been very active. So that's not something that I've changed specifically for me. 
in the normal way. I think that most people are like, I need to become more active. I would say, if anything, I've become a little bit less active in the past six months even because of things I've personally dug in and I have found my lab values and I have found all my things and I have found out that I need to focus on stress management. And one of the things that I'm working on with my stress management besides caffeine intake um, is decreasing my physical activity a little bit because I, I think that my body where it is right now many hit workouts and to do too much can actually promote additional stress where I don't want it. Um, so I'm kind of taking this, like I'm taking like a different route than a lot of people do. Um, I think most people are probably underactive, but I do want to acknowledge people like me who stress level may be a little too high and their body's sensing stress when they're adding additional exercises. So I've actually taken a step back. I want you to kind of define your definition of active because active means a lot of things to a lot of people. So knowing <laughs> you for the past few years to you saying that you're decreasing your activity, this girl used to work out hard in the gym. She would sprint, she would run, she could go on miles and miles of runs and then go lift heavy weights and do really intense exercise. And when she says she's decreasing her activity, that's what she's referring to, decreasing the intensity of her exercise. But you're still very active in the form of getting outside every day, going to the park, going, just doing different things, whether it's bike rides and that kind of stuff. You're right. I should define that because I've been an athlete my entire life. I was an athlete from from five years old on. I've been playing sports. I had played sports all the way through my life. I was, was swimming year round. I was doing track. I played lacrosse. I played soccer. I, I've done everything. I am athletic and that is my nature. And I get a lot of um, good things out of that. I feel great, really going hard. However, um, I have recently found out that my stress levels, my cortisol levels, I don't actually feel stressed, which is the funny part. I like won't think of myself as a stressed out person, but my body was sensing stress. And that's what I found out because I'm doing prevention for myself. And I found out recently that my body is sensing stress. And so I am making um, an effort to do things that will help myself, my body decrease those stress levels. Um, so what I'm doing is I'm still active. I still walk a lot every day, even on my my what I call days off, which would mean I'm not going to the gym. I'm still taking the dog for a walk. I'm still going on a bike ride. I'm doing something that makes me, I'm still moving. Um, I definitely think that at the very minimum that people need to be either walking or going on a bike ride or doing something that makes their body move, even if it's just yoga. Um, I say just yoga. Yoga is actually very difficult. Amazing. <laughs> Personally, actually, it's really difficult for me. It's I always find myself being like, every yoga class, I'm like, oh my gosh, that was so much harder than I expected every single time. So, um, yeah, I think that you just need to move, move your body. Your body was designed to move. It feels best moving, um, and it actually changes you internally when it is moving, and that's really important too. So, right. um, for me, that was what. I've been doing to help with my prevention. 
And a lot of people are also working desk jobs and they're in an office from eight to five every day or they're sitting in the car for hours. So when we talk about activity, just getting outside and moving or like going on a walk on your lunch break, whatever it is, physical activity is a big part of overall health. Your body was meant to move, like Laura said, and it's not just about the food you eat. It's not just about the exercise that you're doing, the coffee you're drinking, the how much water you're having. It's about all of it all together and just being aware of it and keeping an eye on it. And that's, I guess, the what we've come full circle to try and motivate with preventative health and just kind of starting the conversation around it. And we can definitely dive deeper into each of these things. But is there anything you want to kind of close it up with and finalize as far as ending points? Yeah, I, I just want to, I think it can be all, especially if you're new to the concept of prevention or you're new to the statistics that we gave, um, or you find it all a bit overwhelming, join the club. I do too sometimes still. Um, and I absolutely did when I first started reading about it or hearing about it, it felt Big. It felt heavy. It felt overwhelming to me. And I didn't know where to begin. My advice to you with prevention is to start with food and reading ingredients and just start there. Just If you can just start there and just focus on that um, and just kind of be more mindful of what you actually do, because I don't think people actually know what they do on a day-to-day basis until, until they start thinking about it. Um, be more mindful of that. But if you can just start with what you're consuming. Yeah. I mean, real food, real ingredients. That is my biggest message. Um, activity and water. People don't drink enough water. We have to drink more water. Laura's terrible at drinking water. I'm still pushing her to drink more water. (laughs) Water, Guys, I'm terrible at it. But didn't you just say the Papa John's commercial? What you just it? said real food, real ingredients. Oh my gosh, you're like the fifth person who's told me that, that I sound like a Papa John's commercial. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I've we gotten not, so many messages. Promoting Papa John's here. <laughs> but we might steal their little um, commercial for I need to work on my tagline. <laughs> um, <laughs> Papa John's is not real ingredients. I... I challenge you, go online, open up their ingredients and take a look because there's more in there than just tomato sauce and bread and cheese. Um, But yeah, water. I would say water is my like key factor. I think water habits can change a lot. People are chronically dehydrated and a lot of people are reaching for coffee before they reach for water. And I personally have tried to make it like my daily routine to drink water every morning when I wake up a full cup before I have any sort of tea or coffee. And it's made a huge difference for me. And I know that long term, it will be one of the best things you can do for your health as well. So I think that is wrapping it up. We're trying to keep these somewhat short so we don't overwhelm you with too much information too quickly. Um, Yeah. Critical Conversations podcast. We're doing it. How do you feel about it? I feel like we did it. Guys, let us know if you have anything that we you'd like us to talk about or if there's any part of this topic that we could dive deeper on. We're happy to do it. Um, give us some feedback and thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. Thank you, guys.